We're in a series in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to take a little departure and go and look at John 15 here in a minute. And um, part of it is because it's the holiday weekend and just so you know how this works. When Clay prepares a sermon series, he doesn't wake up on Monday morning before he preaches and goes, okay, now how am I going to do this? Like, actually, this text that I would have done in the proper order, um, he's been thinking about some of that. So what we do is we kind of do little one-offs. So I am moving to John 15 and then he'll come back to the Gospel of Mark next week. And um, it's kind of a fun thing, but I get to kind of pick what you get to hear. And uh, as I was thinking about the fall and thinking about things starting up and thinking about what we do here as we look at the Word of God, um, I'm just going to kind of like ask you to think about something. Like words are really important, right? Words are significant. I'm like 200 words into a 3,300 word sermon. Like, you know, just to kind of calibrate what's going on. There's 142, 142 characters in a tweet. Tons of stuff can be said through that, as we've seen. Um, there's 220,000 words in the English Oxford Dictionary. 40,000 of them are obsolete. The English language has closer to a million words if you include words like drip to mean more than just dripping, but actually like style or ice to refer to something besides frozen water, like style, you know, another style thing like bling or whatever. Like when you include idioms, there's like almost a million English words. Like we care about words. When we make vows, we use words to make vows. When we make promises to buy something, those are like enforceable, even in our courts. Like words are significant. And Jesus has words for you tonight about this idea of what it means to connect with God. If you leave with nothing else tonight but this, please hear me. Like if you, if you are asking the question about what does it mean to be connected to Jesus, how does that work? How can I at this very moment begin to lean into what it means to connect with God, this is the right sermon for you. Because Jesus talks about communing with God, about relationship between God. He talks about how his relationship with his Father is meant to be imitated with us and one another. Like the idea of love is supremely significant to who Jesus is. And one of the things we see him do a lot of is pray. And the reason he prays is because having a relationship with God is more than showing up to church with, you know, 32 of your best friends or whatever. Like, we show up for worship because we are attempting to put ourselves in a position to develop a relationship with God which requires communication. Prayer is about communication. It is about hearing from God what he has said. It is about reciting to God his promises to, in, in this sense, showing him that you believe these things because you're calling out to him. Like, a relationship with him is critical, and it's only, it's, it's so critical that if your life is not centered on it, you'll topple. Um, in John Allison's office, if you go up there, there's a little heavy metal top, like a really expensive, nice, like, top. And Clay and I, and, and I think Taylor dabbles a little, but he just can't compete. But we spin this top to see who can spin it for the longest amount of time. If you release it wrong, it won't last. If you drop it, it'll bounce. It won't go over two minutes, which is kind of what Clay and I are pushing for, a plus two-minute spin on this top, which is super, super cool. It is critical that top is centered or it will not last. And I just want to propose to you, um, as those who are here to hear about Jesus, that it is that important. Like, we should be asking ourselves, I ask myself as a pastor every single day, like, where am I centering on Jesus? Where am I not centering on Jesus? This is like the basic first step of Christianity. It is the most complicated step of what it means for us to be a disciple of Christ, to ask ourselves what we're centered on, okay? So with that in mind, let's read from John chapter 15. It's on page 901 of your black Bibles. I'm going to read John 15, 
verses 4 to 11, where Jesus is speaking about being the true vine. Really powerful words that he gives us. You can follow along or simply listen. Hear the word of the Lord. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples as the father has loved me so have I loved you abide in my love if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Okay, so we're looking here at this text, and um, to me, it's all about us understanding what it means to connect with God. And I would say I'm a pretty... I'm a pretty connected person. I don't mean politically. I have no power in that regard. But like, it's kind of amazing living in these times where I know exactly what's going on with Hurricane Dorian right now. Like I've looked, I've watched a weather channel. I've gone to YouTube and watched their live weather channel. You can actually see the hurricane. Um, you can look online and look at technology or philosophy or psychology, all these different things. I was just reading about an exploration in the Himalayas where they're exploring shark's fin, which is very few people have climbed. Like all this stuff is going on and we're connected and we, under, and we get to understand all this stuff. But if I'm honest with you, and I think if you're honest with yourself, there are many times throughout my week, throughout my life, throughout my year, where I feel quite disconnected, even lonely. You know, I'm married, I have three kids, I work in this wonderful church, we're here together. I experience loneliness too, this disconnect, um, this, this sense of solitude in some ways. You know, my wife Jamie teaches algebra at a high school, she comes home, and I try to catch up on her day and ask her, how was your day? Like, what was good? What was bad? It doesn't matter what all she tells me, I'm still not going to get a full picture of what it was really like to live her day. My daughter's a sophomore at A&M. We talk more now than we did when she lived in my house. Uh, we text and she calls me and it's wonderful. And a lot of the times it, it kind of ends with, by the way, I need this expensive book. But, you know, it's okay. Like, it's a, it's a relationship. It's in progress. And I wish I could have, like, a live feed into her life and see what's going on. Or my son's lives. I've got a senior and a freshman. It wouldn't be healthy. Like, I don't need to see everything. But, like, and some, I just wish I could, like, know what it is they're kind of going through and what they're living into. That desire for connection, that desire for relationship, we are created for that. We feel vacant without it. And Jesus is drawing us a picture here, a metaphor of vine and branches. The God of heaven and earth has decided that this metaphor of Jesus being a branch and a a living vine and us being connected to it is a very good way for us to think about our spirituality. For us to think about what it means for us to be connected and bearing fruit, as Jesus says, or be disconnected and do what branches do when they're not connected to a life source. They die. They burn. They wither. They blow away. They wash away. They disappear. And so in John 15, Jesus gives some clear directions about what it means to connect with him, 
what it means to connect with his father, even what it means for us to connect with one another in a meaningful way. Our world has all sorts of ideas about what it means to meaningful, meaningfully connect with others. And any of them that are outside of what this is saying in the scriptures, what Jesus is saying, do not lead to where our hearts are longing. They lead to something else. Pain, disappointment, destruction, whatever. And so the three ideas we're going to discuss are, are these. That Jesus is calling us to abide in him or remain in him. It's more of a word we use. Um, but to abide in him, he calls us to that. Secondly, what happens when we do abide in him. And then third, how we can continue to abide in him. Okay, so the, the call Jesus has for us to remain in him, um, what, it looks, what happens when we do it, and how we sustain it. And so first, remain in me and I will remain in you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Jesus starts with, this, with these words that are meant to communicate something to us. A relationship of mutuality. God intends for you and him to have a relationship where he says something and, and it does something to you, it moves you. Where you cry out to him and you can have the certainty that your cries go out to him and that he responds. A relationship of, of, uh, that requires a sort of mutuality. And Jesus is saying that our relationship with him is similar to this concept of a branch. And, you know, being fused to that branch. I don't know much about a vineyard or anything except I enjoy the product of it. But, um, you know, they can take these vines and these vines that are just, they're, they're a part of one life source and it's maybe not the best or they need to move it or whatever it is. They can fuse it into another branch and eventually it will grow and become one, so one with that new vine that you, they're indistinguishable. It's one new vine. Jesus is saying if you find in your life that it feels lifeless, if you find in your life a sense of deep, unanswered meaninglessness, fruitlessness, if you're dying of thirst, whatever it is, he's saying the reason is because you're connected to a source that can't yield it. But if you abide in me, I will abide in you, Jesus says. That if you'll be fused to me, something wonderful will begin to happen. You will begin to resemble the vine you're now connected to. A relationship where he develops us and he gives us this paradigm so we can like regularly consider it. It's a normal Christian practice to be asking yourself, what am I fusing myself to? Like, why am I fusing myself to that? Where is it leading me? Um, you know, what is it doing to my soul and my heart? And Jesus is saying, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. You know, it's a sign. Jesus is being very plain here. If you'll remain in me, I'll remain in you. And signs are good. You know, yesterday I went mountain biking in Sugarland. You may not know this. There's a bunch of like mountain biking trails in Houston. They're not mountains. I understand that. But we have a lot of ditches and stuff. And they're actually kind of difficult. Like some of them I couldn't even climb. I had to get off my bike and walk up. I know, but still, they, they were difficult for me. And all of these different trails have signs on them. There's the East Loop and the West Loop. And one they called the Bowl and the Tower Run. And then one called the Roller Coaster. I was nervous to try it. I did it worked out okay, but one, one of the things that happened while I was on that little roller coaster ride was I started noticing these signs, these really interesting signs. They were white, and they had an arrow on them, and then a red little circle around them with a line through it that said, wrong way. And I was like, okay, I need to go the other way. So I turn around, and it says, this is the right way. So I start going that way, and then I come to another sign, very similar, with a blue piece of tape over it that says, both ways. And I was like, okay, I don't know which way to go. Like, I'm kind of confused. I didn't end up colliding into anybody, which was good. 
But we look for those signs to direct our path. Jesus is saying, if you need direction in your spiritual path, here it is. Abide in me. Start with that. Remain in me. Start with that. Let that be your centering. To ask yourself that question, to begin to process it, to to begin to uh, challenge your own heart's feelings. It's not that our feelings are insignificant. They are not insignificant. But as Jeremiah tells us, our, our feelings, our heart, is deceitful above all things. And the deep emotions we might have, maybe they're about doubt about God's goodness or doubt about who God is or confusion about some of the things that go on in the scriptures or whatever it is or things going on in your own life. How can God be good and these things happen to me? Or how can God say, here's my prayers and yet after all these years of prayer, this has been the result? Like our hearts go through this experience. What do we do with that dissonance? This is the thing to remember. That as intense as those feelings are, the reality is is that our hearts are not all-knowing. They are not omniscient. They're not all-powerful. They're not omni, you know, they're, they're not able to accomplish whatever they desire. They are our hearts. What do we do with our feelings? Here's what we do. We check them up against God's word. And Jesus says, if you want to find life, remain in me. If you want to begin asking hard questions, Abide in me, and I will abide in you. And even in that abiding, even in that remaining, we begin to bear fruit. It's not that the questions are bad. It's not necessarily that the feelings, they don't need to be stuffed and just pretend like they're not real. But they need to be calibrated to the reality of the one who spoke and all things came into being. The one who rose from the dead says to us, I hear you, but start here. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Now, At times, we hear that and it can feel like a spiritual platitude, right? I know, I just need to remain in Jesus. But what about when it's difficult to do that? What about when it's hard to do that? You know, I want to be close to God, but I don't feel close to God. I want to submit to you this idea that perhaps that sense of distance from God is actually like a spiritual nervous system. Now, if this was a hot, imagine this was a stove right here and it's really hot. This is not how our bodies work. We don't put our hand on it and go, you know what? That burns really bad. And the smell that I'm now getting, I think that's me. And if I continue to leave my hand here, I am not going to be in a good place. So, yes, the decision to move, let's move that hand, and then you move it. That's not how it works. You touch something hot, your body immediately responds, you yank your hand away, and you process and think, ooh, I don't need to put my hand there anymore. Or if you go mountain biking... And your back's sore the next day. Don't go mountain biking that day. Kind of like what I'm experiencing. I'm not going mountain biking today. My back hurts a little. It's your, it's your body communicating to you a message and you hear it and so you respond to it. Perhaps the sense of distance from God is his Holy Spirit telling you, hey, remain in me. It's worth the struggle. Abide in me. This is where you're actually going to find satisfaction for your heart's longings. I know it's not happening as fast as you want. I know it's not happening maybe in the, in the order you want, but I'm telling you, if you remain in me and I, will, and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. What kind of fruit? Fruit like patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, love. The reality is that it, it, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, at some point it's going to require this thing called faith. I'm gonna believe God's word over my heart. I'm going to believe God's word over my incredible logic. 
And if, did you ever go through this? I remember going through this part of my spiritual journey. It's like, if God doesn't make sense to me, it must be because God's not who he says he is. Or I'm wrong. Like, that's a possibility. Maybe God is who he says he is. Maybe if I abide in him, he'll abide in me, and I will bear much fruit. So Jesus is calling us to ask that question. Are we abiding in him? Secondly, what happens when we do abide in him? Verse 5, Jesus says this. I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're in the deepest part of your struggle or difficulty, being out of who Christ is, being away from who he is or what he's doing, he's telling you what's going to happen. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're in one of the most beautiful moments of your life and really great things are happening, that's precisely the moment to do this very thing Jesus is saying, to abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is calling us to remain in him because that's where we find life. Verse 7, Jesus says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Well, that sounds like a great deal, doesn't it? If I'll just remain in Jesus, I get three wishes. That's not what he's saying. It's not like a transaction where he says, If you just do for me, I'll do whatever you want. Just That's, how, that's what it is. That's not what he's saying. What God is actually saying to us, what Jesus is calling us to here, it's a great hope of ours, is that he is in the business of shaping our hearts and shaping our appetites and shaping our longings. Because if you abide in me and I abide in you, what's going to begin happening slowly over time, for those who have been walking with Jesus for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, you know that this is true. In time, God actually gives you new appetites and new desires. He actually allows you to see things that you formerly thought would satisfy you as being deceitful, and you no longer long for them as much. Like he, It's what we call the process of sanctification. God is in the process of making you more and more like his son. His son is perfectly righteous. God the Father is in the process through the power of his spirit applying the word of his son to you to bring you along in that righteousness. Nobody in here is without sin. All of us are in process. That's why we confess our sins every week in this church. We're acknowledging that we need the living vine that we are part of to bear fruit through us as we abide in him. You know, one of the most pure places to see appetites is in young children, right? Three-year-old runs across the room. They don't get what they want, and they unleash all of this emotion and tears, and crying, and screaming, and maybe throwing a temper tantrum to their parents. Great, great embarrassment. Look, it's fine. We all get it. And that three-year-old, what happens is, is that as you grow, you begin to learn that if I act that way, or if I say things that I'm thinking without processing them very much, I'm going to cause a lot of damage around me. James chapter 3 says this, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. After you start enough forest fires in your life, you begin to realize, I should maybe, I should use a little more caution. Like, I should think about this a little more. Have you ever said this phrase? Well, I didn't mean it. You know, I know I was really harsh, but I didn't really mean it. You did mean it. That's why you said it. Now, you may not feel it or mean it now, But that's exactly why God tells you to hold your tongue. 
because you need time to process what's happening because you're weak and you need God's grace. In other words, God's wisdom leads us to a place where we bring life into all that's around us. And so thankfully, as your 43-year-old pastor, I don't throw temper tantrums anymore. I consider my words a little more. I remember that it's not really, you know, what I don't need you to leave here with today is being impressed with me putting together a sermon. What I need for you to do is 15 years from now to come back to John chapter 15 and think, I need to abide in Jesus. That's the life-giving word that God offers to us. And this is beautiful. Verse 8, the result of us hearing Jesus' call to abide in him and and what happens to us when we begin to try to do it, to abide in him, to remain in his promises. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Here's God's promise to you this evening. If you will abide in Christ, he will bring fruit into your life. He will bring development in your spirituality. He will mature you and make you more like his son. And in doing it, as you begin to imitate that out towards others, you're actually bringing glory to the Father of heaven and earth because you're imitating him here. He's actually becoming more present through the actions of his people. My children begin to experience more clearly God's love for them when I figure out that God loves me and I'm going to try to love them like he loves me. They actually learn about who Jesus is, which is terrifying because I sin against them too, which is why it's important for me to confess my sins and to tell them, look, only God is righteous. Let's move toward him together. God will reveal himself through you. God reveals his kingdom through us as we abide in him. He's in the the process of creating a place of peace and of mercy and forgiveness and restoration and kindness. That's what he's doing. So, how can you know if you're disconnected from God at this moment? Well, do you find you just cannot get over something? Like, are you really angry about something you can't get over? It doesn't mean you need to pretend like it didn't happen or sweep it under the carpet. That's not what I'm saying. But do you find that the thing that really drives you is revenge? or bitterness, or frustration, or what about this? As a dad, I can speak, just I'll speak for myself, there are times where my kids have ideas that interfere with my plans. That happens to me from time to time. And I don't usually think, man, that's okay, let me just try to love him through this. I usually say, you're so selfish, like wake up, what's going on here? I'm in process. Do you think the highest good of a person is to be self-sufficient? That's another lie we often, we often believe. And partly it's because we really just respect people who don't seem to need anybody else so much, which is part of the problem. Are you highly anxious? You know, at the heart of anxiety is this fear that you're not in control. You're not in control. God's in control. You can't figure everything out. God has everything figured out. It doesn't mean we don't have concern, but that's very different than, you, than the kind of anxiety that I'm talking about that you understand. See, it's only as we begin to experience God's grace, as we begin living in this kingdom, as we begin abiding in this kingdom, that we begin to be able to do what Jesus says here, to glorify his Father and to actually be his disciples. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, it starts with this, having faith that the gospel is true, having faith that Christ died for us and that we're in the process of following him. That's the beginning of abiding and remaining. 
Abide in me and I will abide in you. That's spiritual growth. So there's a call for us to abide in Christ. He tells us what happens if we do it. How do we continue to develop it? How do we connect with the branch? Well, Jesus makes this connection um, for us with how he loves his father and how his father loves him. It's, it's quite amazing. Verse 9, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Do you hear that? The kind of love that Jesus has for you is the kind of love that the father has for him. And so Jesus says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments, abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's where Jesus is wanting to take us, to a place where we experience his joy. So what happens if you don't have that joy? Where do we go when we don't have that joy? It's not beat yourself up. It's come to the one who can actually bring joy. Take it to him. Bring to him your fears, bring to him your sorrows, bring to him your concerns. And what Christ offers is the one who says, look, I'm going to love you like the Father has loved me, and I want you to love others in the same way. It's quite remarkable. Jesus says in verse 12, we didn't read this, but let me read it to you. This is my commandment. This is Jesus' summary of what he wants us to take away. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. What if this week part of your spiritual practice and discipline was to figure out how to love someone. Like what's somebody in your life this week that you could say, okay, I'm only gonna love this person like God's loved me. I'm gonna figure out how to love them. God's loved us while we're his enemies, so my enemies aren't out of consideration. God's loved me when I'm not interested in him. So that means people who are not interested in me, they're still on my target for people that I might be called to love this week. Who is it? that God is calling you to love. Remember, God is never going to call you to forgive someone or to love someone that he hasn't already forgiven a lot more than you're going to have to or loved a lot better than you're going to love them. He's never going to ask you to outdo him on loving that person. He's asking you to begin to wonder, how can I really be a disciple? Have I really experienced God's love so much that I'm going to look for ways to creatively love my wife or my husband or my children or my friends or people in my church or people in my community. Like, how can I bring his kingdom to bear on them this week? Because you're the tool. God intends to make the love of his son known, the one who offers living life through this vine. He intends to make it known through our actions toward others as we call them back to the living vine. It's incredible. Ask yourself this question, are you remaining in Jesus' love? And really the better question is, where are you not remaining in Jesus' love? Look, I know I've got the same kind of fears. My daughter's in college, my sons are in high school. I can't protect them. God can watch over them. I don't know all the right things to say. God's spirit knows just how to, in a precision way, access their hearts in his perfect timing. We have a God who comes to us and says, if you'll remain in me with all your questions and concerns and unanswered you know, ideas, if you'll remain in me, I will remain in you. And it's a really difficult thing for us to believe because our hearts can come up with all these questions that we think have to be answered before I'll trust God. The thing is, what God does is he answers all the questions your heart actually needs to have answered first. 
And those other questions, you may get answers in this life. It may be the next. Guess what? You're never going to know all the things God knows. That would make you God, right? We're always going to be in the place of one who knows more than us and is more powerful than us and loves us more than anyone or anything has ever loved us and will continue to love us more than anyone or anything has ever loved us. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus is calling us to be an echo chamber of his love towards others, and in doing that, we really show that we're disciples. It's wonderful. Let me close with this kind of story for you. I traveled this summer. I love doing this thing. They call it overlanding. And um, I, I took my Jeep and I went to a bunch of different places. But one of the places I landed in was in Moab, Utah. And I'm in this canyon. It's 11 o'clock at night. It is very dark in, in certain parts of Utah. It's so dark that they say, this is the darkest place above, above, above ground. Because there, there's no reflective materials. So if there's no moon, it is dark. So if you've ever seen that kind of thick darkness, then you know what I'm talking about. So I'm, I see this, I'm pulling into Moab. It's not a huge place, lots of great things to see. And I see this sign that says to go into this canyon. I'm like, why not? I'm going to go into this canyon. So I go into this canyon. I'm aware by how narrow the road is that I need to pay attention to stay close to the wall <laughs> and not the not wall over here. And so I'm making my way through this canyon and it's pitch black. And um, I turn my lights off to see just how black it is. And I can see stars in the sky, but if I look at the ground, I can't see the ground. It's just so dark. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm thinking, and you got to remember I'm a pastor. So I'm sitting there thinking, man, this is like what it must be like um, to not have any idea about who God is whatsoever. And I'm thinking, I wonder if I could tell this story in a sermon. And here we are, right? So I'm sitting there. With my Jeep, it's so quiet. There's no sounds. There's some stars twinkling in the sky. And I don't even really know what's all around me. And then all of a sudden, this, the moon begins to come up. And if you want to see a picture of this, just come ask me. I'll show you on my phone. But the moon begins to peer over these towers in the distance. And the canyon begins to light up. And I begin to see oranges start to show. And then as the moon rises, it is so bright that you have to squint to look at the moon. It, is, it, is, it was incredible. I took pictures of it and my camera struggles to like figure out the light situation. Like it's just, it's so bright. And as I thought about that, I feel like that's exactly what it's like for us. If you try to navigate the world without understanding this call to abide in Jesus, you're going to see some flickers. You're going to kind of know what the sand is like. But you're going to miss out on everything else that's going on around you. God comes into our lives through the power of the gospel, his Holy Spirit applying it to us, and we begin to actually see the canyon and the towers and all the beautiful things that he has made. On top of that, it's God's intention, as we love others, to reveal that same kind of brightness. The moon's not bright on its own, right? It's completely reflective. It's just reflecting the sunlight. And God calls us to be that for one another. As Jesus says, he sums it up so well, this is what it means to love one another, to actually follow his commands, to forgive one another, to bear with one another, to be merciful to each other, to look out for one another's good, to care for each other. In doing that, we're actually showing that we believe Jesus is who he says he is. So that's my prayer for you this week, is that maybe even as you're leaving this place later or you're driving around or maybe someone's going to sin against you this week that gives you this really obvious opportunity to figure out 
how to love someone in a way that you didn't last week. To be gracious to them in a way that you weren't last week. Whatever it is, in doing that, you are quite actually abiding in Christ and laying bricks of his kingdom. It's a really beautiful thing that God calls you to. Okay, let me pray for us and then we'll celebrate the supper together. Lord, we give you thanks for your word and for your promises that are ours in Christ. We know that um, without you, there's a deep darkness, and yet with you, you bring light into our lives. And so it's my prayer for myself, for my brothers and sisters here, that you might, through the power of your spirit, by grace and through faith, remind us of where and how to abide in you in our lives, to go to the gospel often, to go to your fountain of grace, to take refuge in your presence, that we might experience your life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.